Well, we've uh, had our oranges and uh, the coach has given us our pep talk. Yep. Did we have a quarter time sponsor? Uh, not at this stage, no. Probably. Yeah. They probably would have tried to interview the players in the rooms or something. Yeah. Some other right. sort of meaningless bullshit that the viewers don't care about. Here yeah. on the White Pod, we give you what you want to hear. We give it... And, give also, a... and, also, and also Dan. Well, <laughs> we, you know, we give you 100% and we're hoping to come away with the four points and we'll just take, we'll take it, it one week at a time. We'll take it one question at a time. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'll cancel my plan to come Combine those two questions. We'll just go with this one on its own then. Which is something we sort of covered in the first quarter, but this time we'll be a bit more specific then. Which top four team from last year will not make it to the prelim final stage this season? So we've got Collingwood, Adelaide, Hawthorne and Sydney. I mean, it's you, you may have to look at this in the opposite way, which is who do you see being there in the final four, I guess. Oh, Fremantle. I've got Fremantle as a lock. Mm. Um, I just think that they, they, they were, you look at the moves that they made, they made a couple of nice little moves around around the edges but I mean they, they kind of have to go now and they were arguably the best team in the second half of last year so I'm, I'm figuring that they're going to maintain that, that level moving throughout the season and I think that they'll finish top four they, they may well finish top two yeah see I look at those top four sides and I actually think the three of them other I than have, Collingwood could all potentially yeah, I agree. Out. I think all three of the other teams have, have gotten worse I've got, since last season I've got big question marks on Hawthorne yep. now um the, the Franklin distraction, Suckling being injured, they've lost, Losing, a lot. Young. they've lost some depth, which is a real worry. And not only that, but right now, I mean, we've discussed it before, Sam Mitchell, Brad Sewell, Luke yeah. Hodge, a lot of those guys are pretty much one major injury away from being career over for them. Yeah, so I think that they're a, they're a worry. I mean, Sydney basically eroded away. They cut very deep at the end of last year, so if they, they've had a great run of injuries over over the last couple of years, if they if they start getting some injuries this year, their depth is either untested or mm. not overly great. They they probably only run twenty five or twenty six deep really this yeah. year. So there's some worries there with regards to them. I mean, if we look at those three teams we discussed, and Adelaide, I mean, look Adelaide. Yeah. Who knows how Tex is going to respond to basically mm. seeing the best defender every week now instead of the second best defender every week. Mm. There's some there's some interesting questions with the the relate to the crow as well, but I think the Crows have got a softer draw. I, if I was going to name two, I'd almost name the two grand finals as yeah. funny as that seems, but yeah. I wouldn't be, like you, I wouldn't be surprised if Adelaide dropped out, so... Yeah, I mean, when I look at those three teams, the three things I ask are, number one, how many games will Adelaide win at Woody Park? You'd, you'd have to think no. that that's going to be nine, maybe mm. ten, which well, which gets you, well, top four wise, that gets you most of the way there. It's certainly, you've, you've probably done 60% of the work. Yeah, the second one in the same thing for the interstate team is yeah how tough are Sydney going to be um, at home this season can't say yeah. the SCG but at the SCG ANZ wherever else they play yeah. and the third one which is the biggest question mark is will Hawthorne be anything better than 2 or 5 and 3 and or 2 and 5 or 3 and 4 well, that's after right. the first 7 that's rounds actually, that's... in which they play the 7 other finalists from last year including West Coast on a s- Hawthorne are on a 6 day break and have had to travel across the country whereas West Coast are 
on a 14 or 15 day break and get to stay at home. That's right. I mean, Hawthorne started a year or two you a lot about where they're going to end up. Mm, yeah. So, um, but I mean, as I say, the, the problem is if you see those guys dropping out, you need to see them being replaced by somebody. And I, I would say Fremantle, uh, I would almost lock Fremantle in to I, be a top four team this year. So is it is it somebody like Geelong re-rising? I'm not as uh, high on the West Coast Eagles as a lot of other people are. See, I think they will probably sneak into the top four purely because they will win all their games at home, with the exception yeah. of the Derbies. Well, the thing that the Eagles are genuinely very, very good at is, is winning is winning on mm. the road against inferior teams. Yeah. And I think this season, where, as we're discussing, there's going to be, a, I think, a massive uh, pack of, say, but six teams who will have I only think, a couple of games I think the them. thing about the Eagles, though, I, I don't see the Eagles finishing top four. They've virtually got to be, at worst, eight and three at the break, because their last six games of the year aren't easy. They've got a really tough final six games of the year. So I think that that's... Um, and funnily enough, in that, in those six games, they actually play Adelaide twice. Mm. That may well decide what what happens with those yeah. two teams. So, yeah, not much confidence from any of the top four teams from last no, year. No, no, that's not true. I'm, I'm confident Collingwood will be there. Mm. I think that everybody's, everybody's saying how even it is and all this, and they're throwing a lot of names around at the moment. The team that's been constantly overlooked by everybody is Collingwood. Collingwood finished fourth last year and got better, well, that, that's both in I the short at, term yeah. and the long term. Is you look at where all the teams have gone since last season. Mm. Collingwood have lost Chris Dawes. They've picked up Quinton Lynch. They've picked up Clinton Young. Um, and they picked up Jordan Russell, who allows them to do a lot more with Heath Shaw because yeah. he can play that that halfback yeah. um, general role as well. And there's not that sort of, I guess, potential for age to really become a factor like yeah. this season for them, whereas like Hawthorne you can definitely see them, and Fremantle as well even. You can yeah. sort of see a lot of their key players well, now think, really yeah. starting to hit their last I couple think of years. that's exactly right. I think Collingwood's prime movers, the guys who, who will take you to a premiership, mm. they're really in their prime window yeah, they've right still now. got time on their yeah. side, yeah. So, well, moving along then from that, we'll switch to a question of an individual basis, which is after the uh, <laughs> the question in the first quarter on the Namalock medal. This time we're going to go the original ordered medal, the Coleman medal. Coleman medal, yes. Which was won last season by one of the lowest totals in the last 30-odd years. Mm. And if, if Matthew Pavlich had just bloody put himself even slightly before the team in that last round, he could well have won it. I was at that game the last round of the season and there were a number of times where the guys were just turning around to Pav and just like asking him to run past them, giving the handball and for him to have the shot on goal and he just didn't do it mm-hmm. so anyway. yes so well for the Coleman this year yep. I mean every year people say Franklin and every year he's there or thereabouts so you'd be crazy to just counting completely yep. but I guess someone like Josh Kennedy if the Eagles are going to win a lot of games at home you can see him the one thing that Kennedy does really well is beat up on the minnows when the when the Eagles have big wins so if they have a handful of games over at Subi where they you know put on the afterburners Kennedy's someone who I reckon could come into the mix. Yeah, I, I would, I'd agree with that. Um, I think the thing about Kennedy, though, is with Lynch going, Kennedy's more likely to work up the ground and it's going to be the Coxes and the Darlings sitting underneath him. So I think the Eagles will spread their goals um, around a fair bit more. I mean, if for them to win, I think that they're going to need to have three or four guys in the in the high 40s loaf. And it's going to be the combination of the Ruckman, Darling, Kennedy and a, and a Lacroix or possibly a Hill 
sitting behind that, all being, and then getting 200 goals from that. Or well, the chili pepper, Nikoski. Yeah. <laughs> well, since he's on the, I think the Eagles have actually put him on the long-term injury list. So oh, have they? Uh, that we'll be seeing so Nikoski for a while. he probably will have to give it away now. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, when we talk about the Coleman medal, as we say, last year it was one, yeah, I think the lowest total for the last few decades. Yeah. Um, how many goals do you think would be required to win it this year? Do you reckon it'll be another low ball? Or we'll oh, let let me put it this way. I reckon if you kicked 100, you'll win it. But I don't think it'll get anywhere near 100. Mm. I'd say probably 70 you'll get you there. I think you you, you hit a couple of the, the guys who would be a chance. I think if um, Travis Coke would be around that mark, if Mitch Clark can stay fit, he may well get up around that mark as well. And we'll, we'll throw him into the mix, really. If Frio oh, played this Pabry. season the way they did yeah. for the last half of uh, last Pabry. season... Yeah. With guys like um, Mundy, Barlow, Hill, Pierce, and that just delivering the ball to Pavlich in the forward line. Yeah, uh, you, ha- you have to consider Pavlich. I have two concerns about Pavlich. I think he's going to be a little bit underdone coming into the year. He's had yep. he had some problems, but having mm. said but that, he last six year, goals yeah. in a final on one week. And last year yeah. it was really from a th- yeah. ra- it was the game against Richmond where he kicked yeah. six goals. From that point onwards, that yeah, was where I mean, he just dominated. I think that once again, though, for Frio to to um, um, to really be competitive, I think they've got to be like the Eagles. Mm. Pavlich can be the main guy, but I think that they've got to get a good spread from their forward line as well. I like the fact that you used the word main guy yeah. there, considering he's probably the other <laughs> key target. Yeah, well, main... And then him and Walters and, and Ballantyne. Yeah, it, yeah mm. exactly. It's guys like Walters and Ballantyne that will really mm. tell you how Fremantle season works forward, because main and, main and DeBoer to give you the pressure in the forward line. You've got mm. Pavlich there as the main marking target. And Walters and Ballantyne at their feet. I mean, most improved player, I said Kobe Stevens, if you were talking about a guy who was in a team who you think's got another level, I'd probably go with somebody like Michael Walters, believe it or not. Mm. I think he's, I've seen him enough playing locally to know that he actually is a sublime talent when his head's in the game. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's sorted out his off field issues. Yeah, now. he's just had a kid as well, I believe. He's got yeah, a young right. kid, so like yeah. you'd say that, yeah, the non gaming yeah. aspect of it all. Is now well and, and I mean, he this. looks from the from the footage I saw of him the other day. He looks the fittest I've ever yeah. seen him as well, yeah. which is also really important. I, in the past, he was either too heavy and he couldn't run through, or he was too slight to get knocked off the ball. Yeah. He's got that. He looks like his body shape looks like the body shape of an AFL footballer yeah. now. So I'm expecting I, he would be one who I would expect to uh, to really jump up this year as well. Fair enough. Well, following on from the question of how many goals to win the Colts. Let's jump across to the other major season medal. How many votes to win the Brownlow? Ooh. Now, after you tooted your own horn on your Brisbane prediction from last season, I'm just going to toot mine a little bit here and point out that Sam Mitchell, who was my call before the year started, finished um, tied for second last year in the Brownlow. So, and I think he had 25 votes yeah. from memory. He in Dangerfield. Yeah, yeah. Um, Watson, Watson, Watson really bolted out mm. last year. It's a midfielders award these days. You've got some pretty, to be honest. You've got some pretty average teams running around. Mm. I reckon you, you you want to be you want to be aiming for thirty. Yeah. Thirty seems to be the number these days. Yeah, when you look at the stats from the last few seasons, there's always I think over the last ten years or so you've needed to be in the low thirties to, to be winning it. And that's also we've I think discussed a couple well, of I mean, times before that you get these players who are almost just Brownlow magnets. Yeah. And that if they have anywhere near a good game, they're yeah. automatically just going to pick up. Yeah, I mean, the one who the one who kind of 
kind of stands out side of all of that. Ben Carson didn't, I think he only got one year he won it. Mm. But that year, there was a lot of people mm. around yeah. the mark there, and he just managed to stay ahead of yeah. the pack. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the um, yeah, it's, it's historically been in and around the 30 mark of weight. So I reckon if you got 30, you're a good chance. But, uh, yeah. I'm going to go with 36, seeing as 36. this is episode 12, 36. 12 best 36. on grounds, yeah. Yeah, tying it all up together yeah. quite nicely. So let's run with that. Yeah. Okay, the next question is Michael Hurley, Ooh. number 18, I believe. He is, Which yeah. is half of 36. The trend continues. Um, Where will he play most of his football this year? And please don't say Essendon. <laughs> or on the sidelines after a two-year Asada suspension. <laughs> Idiot Stadium, because that's their home green. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, no. yeah. Um, where will he play on the field? And follow-up question, where should he play if you had your way? Yeah, I reckon that this guy should play centre-half back. And I think that he would probably... If he if he played centre-half back, he would be the All-Australian centre-half back of 2013. He just seems... That just seems that the, the way that he can read the game from behind the ball, his one-on-one pressure, his leap and all of that, he's, he's tailor-made to, to play in that type of role. Don't you think they need him in their forward line more, though? I don't Even think the they do. Got. I'm just going to say, I don't think they do, but that seems to be the way that they are. So my the second answer is centre-half back, but the answer to the first question he's going to be he'll play for mm. but you know the ho- I would say that they should be sitting there hoping that Gumbleton can come through they can find a way for Ryder to work and that they can blood Joe Danaher all of those guys who would be forwards and that gives them the luxury of playing them back because I think that they would be they're more likely to win a, pre- win a premiership with Hurley as a defender than Hurley as a forward mm, perhaps that's just the legacy of number 18 Essendon as well weighing on their mind <laughs> well I mean the guy before Matthew Lloyd played both centre half forward and centre half back so yeah and he probably messed a trick about it too so yeah. right well here we go we've got a bit of a multiple personality disorder question here it is which Mitch Brown will play more games. Which Mitch? Which Mitch? The Geelong version or the West Coast Eagles version? Or will a third Mitch rise <laughs> from out of left field and pit them both? JJ, your thoughts. <laughs> no to the third. <laughs> um, last time I looked, there's only two Mitchell Browns on AFL lists. I think the Juong guy will. Funnily enough, they both win number one as well, which I thought was quite funny. Um, I think Juong Mitch Brown will play more than the Eagles Mitch Brown purely because the Eagles Mitch Brown is at best fourth in the pecking order for key defenders of the Eagles. Mm. Behind Glass, Mackenzie and Schofield, who they would probably pinch hit with in most instances. Mm. So I, I would think that you're saying that the Eagles Mitch Brown might get six to eight games at the max. Emacs generally good for missing four to five games throughout the year. They'll probably rest glass in a couple of games. So you think that he'll probably get six to eight games. I think the Geelong Mitch Brown, who plays at both ends of the ground, will probably play more than that. Yep. So And you'd say that would be based more on his own merit, I guess, rather than it's also, being it, a fill-in replacement. I think that he's closer to being truly best 22. Yep. I think you see, you'll see Geelong really try and phase out J-Pod this year. Oh God. Well, they and, could have done that years ago. And I think that you'll see Mitch Brown will be one of the guys who um, who takes that role on. So I'd say, yeah, 
I, I'd expect him to get into double digits, whereas I think that the Eagles, Mitch Brown, won't get that high. So, yeah, fair enough. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to put your uh, administrator's hat on, because God knows that the administrators have a God-given right to change the laws of the game every season at their To, uh, to channel my inner Demetrio. Oh, no, I wouldn't ask anyone to do that. God, that way lies madness. Okay. Yep, fine. There is one rule that you can change in the AFL. Yep. So already that's not Demetrio, because there are infinite rules you can change. Yeah. At a whim. But if you, yeah, could change that one rule, what? which one would it be? Um, well, I absolutely... And do. just quietly, um, a lot of the coaches have written in saying it better not be the uh, capital interchange. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get into that. I consider that more off the field. Um, I, I'm going to say that the, the announcement recently about this sliding rule, which I absolutely hate, um, I, I would I would take that out, but I'm going to get the impression that that'll be gone by the end of the year anyway when they realise how stupid it is. No, the one thing that about a lot of rules. The one thing that I would definitely do, though, I think that they need to have a minor infringement penalty. I think that I, I want to introduce the 25 metre penalty as well as the, so 50 for major infringements and 25 for minor. Particularly I, given the um yeah the, the umpire's newfound joy at just landing 50 metre penalties yeah. at the drop of a hat. I think that there's some sometimes where they they'll, they'll call 50 for things that are actually quite that are borderline and yeah. to have the flexibility to go well you broke it but I can kind of see why you did it 25 metres. Mm. I think that that's that's a uh, that's a better way. To, yeah, yeah, a better yeah. way to do it. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what I, I I would go with that. I'm going to go with the 25 meter penalty. My response to that question would be very simple: is that the score review system must be renewed, re- removed, I should say, through use yeah. of nuclear force if necessary. Um, and the ashes, yeah, just scattered across all Since corners of the earth, so that it can never possibly yeah reform again. Well, I think if you're going to do it, you've got to do it properly. They're using half-assed technology. To do it, yeah. Um, and as far as I can tell, the biggest incentive that they've had to do it, or the biggest motivation behind bringing it in, is simply the AFL's desire to be seen as one of the hip and trendy new sports, which is embracing technology. Like, there's not actually been a specific scenario or um, passage of play that repeatedly brings up um, errors in in the umpires' call that they've seen. All right, we need to have a video review system to fix up, say, runouts in cricket. Say, you know, whether the ball's over the line in soccer, that sort of thing. Say, Hawkeye system in tennis. Those sports had specific, um, you know, instances and repeated plays where the video review system could be used to easily and, um, and yeah, accurately um, make a decision. Whereas what they're bringing in for here is the sort of line ball touchy-feely crap that the umpires are going to get right or get wrong, you know, 50% of the time anyway. And they never, ever, ever provide any just real clarity and, yes, this is the definitive outcome of that passage play goal or behind. Yeah. I've not seen it happen once. Yeah. No, I agree. All right. So, GJ, you become an AFL coach and yeah, you're up against one of the gun clubs and you know that there is one midfielder there who is absolutely capable of tearing you to pieces. The key Which to you is winning... almost every week, yeah. yeah. The key to you winning the game is that you have to stop that one midfield player yep. with one player of your own. Yep. Who gets the job? If it's Chris Judd, I'm, I'm calling in Scooter Selwood because Scooter Selwood owns Judd. Anybody else? Ryan Crowley. And I don't. Need, I wouldn't think twice about it. Doesn't Crowley have a fairly decent record against Judd as well? Well, I, I Scooter Selwood not only obliterate, he obliterates 
works, Judd, in both senses is that he, sent, he tends to neutralise him while getting 30 possessions mm. himself. Yeah. So, but anyone else, I'm taking Ryan Crowley. Um, I, he, funnily enough, with the midfielders, is he, it's very interesting because he plays on he plays on all types. He plays on the outside midfielders. He plays on the inside midfielders. And he seems to be very effective on both, no matter what. So, a guy who's very underrated in this though is Heath Hocking. But I, I think if I if I was picking an all Australian team, I think you have to pick a tagger just for the record <laughs> and he would be the guy I would pick without a shadow of a doubt his performance is speaking himself and we'll send that soundbite through to Anderson Demetrio Darcy and co based on their selections well, from last season Anderson could care less considering uh, <laughs> he's well, no longer yeah, in fact he might have actually more insight into who should be all Australian this year yeah. <laughs> okay now on to one of your favourite nicknamifications across the AFL the Scott Sisters <laughs> The Scott sisters. Oh god, here we go. Chris and Brad. Now, just just for the record, before you start with this question, my god, the guys who played the game within a millimetre of the rules as it was, I find it so astounding that they can sit there and bitch and moan and cry about everything. But anyway, the whinging Scots. Yes. Who will be the first to snap this year and sort of pull out the tissues in a press conference and and why? <laughs> I'm going with Brad. Brad seems to whinge about more things than Chris does, and I think that Brad's going to be feeling. A a lot more pressure this year, even though they just renewed his contract. I, okay. I think that 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 the I think the North might regret that coming the end of the year. My response is whichever one of them plays in Perth first, because nothing brings out the Scott sister tears like a match in WA. So whoever out of North and Geelong plays over at Subi first, due to waterworks. Yeah. Okay. Quite simply, who do you think is the best kick of the football in the AFL? I'm going to jump in first here and go Stephen Hill, who just from the first moment I saw him kick the football, for for starters, he runs like a startled gazelle, but then on the run, that guy just has a trace bullet for a kick. And I just put him marginally ahead of Shannon Hearn because I think Stephen Hill uses it more, I guess, as a... Like Stephen when Stephen Hill's got the ball and he's on the run. I don't know. Stephen Hill on the run... I think is a better kick than See, Shannon Hearn on the run. I'm not even going to overthink it. Shannon Hearn, 100 times out of 100 for me. Simple reasons for this. Um, he can hit a target 70 metres away. He can hit a target 30 metres away. It doesn't make any difference. You could count, over the past two to three years, you could count on one hand the number of times he's watched a kick in, which, considering that that's arguably the most difficult kick in the league, that's a pretty impressive record. He can kick your goals from outside 50 on a fairly regular basis which is handy but I think above over and above all of this the thing that really makes Shannon stand out for me is his decision making he very rarely kicks the ball to a position and you sit there and you say I have absolutely no idea why he chose that option yeah. however I'm only taking Shannon Hearn's right foot because he never kicks with his left yeah. <laughs> but so we'll say the left foot of Stephen Hill and the right of Shannon, oh, Shannon, <laughs> Shannon Hearn's, well I'd probably take the left foot of Daniel Rich and the right foot of Shannon Hearn yeah. <laughs> but um, no. I, 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 yeah. I will just say the best kick of football for me is always going to be someone kicking on the run and that's why I take Stephen yeah. Hill because I think it's better than anyone but I, I think that the, the, the beauty of, of Shannon Hearn is there's guys who can kick the ball 70 metres but Shannon Hearn kicks it 70 metres far 
pass. Um, is that the the time that the ball's in the air with him is much less than anyone else. It, it, he's the true definition of a zone buster, and that that's really important. I know a lot of other people. I mean, I know everybody seems to rate suckling, but suckling never takes kicking. Every time suckling gets the ball, he thinks to himself, "I know, I'm going to kick off one step with my left foot." Whereas you talk about Shannon Hearn's ability to just assess the situation, you know, play mm. this, play them differently, make those right decisions. Yes. As soon as suckling gets the ball, yeah, it might look like a beautiful, flat, you know, perfectly rotating kick, mm. but half the time he doesn't have very much fucking clue where exactly the I ball mean, that's is going. Kicking is, kicking is so much about decision-making. I mean, it, up until last year, a lot of people thought that Chris Maston, for instance, was bad to the football. He's actually a very good kick of the football. He just has bad peripheral vision sometimes. So he kicks the ball to good spots in, in good positions for, for forwards, but he, he, he just doesn't necessarily see the entire field mm. when he's doing it. So th- there's one thing to kick the ball well. There's another thing to be a great decision maker. And yeah. that's really one of the things that Shannon has, I think, over all of these other elite kicks of the ball. Yep, I'll agree with that. So after our first quarter analysis of revolt on revolt, yes. this time we're going grimy to grimy. Grimy to grimy. Wow. Jack V. Dillon. Jack V. Dillon. Brothers. Jack Grimes, the champion of my dream team and fantasy teams last year versus his, well, probably lesser credentialed Richmond counterpart. Brother. Yeah, brother, fair enough, yeah. Dylan. So, yes. Dylan, very underrated player for the record. Problem that Dylan's got is uh, Dylan's got hamstrings brought to you by the Marsh Brothers. Mm. So um, he uh, he struggles with hamstring issues. Mind you, before last season, Jack Grimes struggled with every injury under the sun. So. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, Jack versus Dylan, what's the... So who will play um, more games this year? No, I think Jack. I mean, they're both best 22 for their respective clubs, mm. no matter what, but they both don't have great track records when it comes to staying on the park, but um, Jack's is probably slightly better. Jack's injuries in the past have been a bit more fluke. Yeah. So, um... And the other thing... And I, I rate them both as players for the record. I think that they're both actually very, very solid players. Well, the, the other thing I really like about Jack Grimes, and this is the main reason I picked him up last year, was just purely the captaincy factor. Yeah. I think he's sort of like Matthew Pavlich in that he quite often can take it upon himself to almost, yeah, assert his team's <laughs> dominance upon mm. the game. Like, he just wills himself upon the contest as a captain. So, yeah, I'd give Jack the edge as well. Yeah. I'd like to... I mean, he's played predominantly as a half-back. I'd like to see him push up into the midfield a bit more. That's the... That's... Because I think that he's got the ability in... Mm. Yeah, I, I, I actually... And God knows no one else at Melbourne does. I really like Jack as a player. And I like, I like Dylan as well. I think Dylan's a, 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 a good, tall defender. He's yeah. not going to wow anyone, but he's the type of guy who... If he's your second best key defender, you're actually a pretty good team. Richmond fans, take note. Okay, well, for this one, it's simply name a player that you feel is currently underrated. I teased this in the first quarter, didn't I? There's a, there's two guys I want to name, but I'm, I'll, I'll settle in on the on the main one who I want to name. There's a, I think Ben Rutten, over his journey, has been radically underrated by a number of people. He's just been, you know, at worst, the third best key defender at any stage over a season for the past 10 seasons. Mm. And I don't think enough people give him credit for that. I think that he's just as important to Adelaide as Darren Glass is to the Eagles, and he's been just as effective over the journey, but he's had nowhere near the fanfare that, that Darren's had. And he had a very, very good match in that final that he threw yeah. last year. But the guy who I'm going with is Nick Smith of Sydney. A lot of people might say, who the hell's I, Nick Smith? Yeah, I have to say, I've never heard of him, and I've spent the last couple of weeks 
Olympics trawling through every Sydney player under the sun because they've got such a soft draw to start the season and still yeah. the name doesn't ring the bell. Nick, well, the, you might, you probably didn't see much of Nick Smith in the grand final last year, but there's a good reason for that because he was probably permanently attached to Cyril Rioli. Mm. He is the best shutdown small defender in the league and it's not even close. But the reality is that nobody knows who he is. And I think he probably likes it that way. So I'm going to say Nick Smith. Fair enough. Sydney have a few guys like that. Craig Bird, who plays more as the defensive forward, is actually very similar as well. In that not a lot of people know who he is, but he's actually very effective in his role. Another guy who I th- who fits into into that type of mould as well, who I think is quite underrated, is Matt DeBoer at Fremantle. So, I don't even need to give him my response. It remains as it has for the last five or six years now, Brad Sewell. I think Brad Sewell's, yeah, he's not as underrated now as perhaps no. he's been in the past. But. He's, he's starting to get some juice, but he still hasn't won a Norm Smith yet, and he's, just, he's 0-2. So hopefully he can do something about that this year. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, here we go. If you were putting together your worst commentary team for a game, who would it be? So we'll say a team of three with a boundary rider. Yeah. Oh, let's, let's go a team of four. Let's, let's yeah, we're team of four. Yeah. Jeez, can I just pick the Saturday night team and be done with it? No, I'm not going to do that. Hamish, Hamish doesn't... <laughs> Hamish doesn't call Saturday night. Hamish, so. Hamish, Hamish is escaping my wrath, believe it or not, and it's by the skin I, of his I'd teeth. I beg you to reconsider. It's purely, <laughs> it's purely because I can't stand Dwayne Russell and Brian Taylor. So I think that those two commentating the game itself would be the commentary from hell. With Luke Darcy offering special comments and Sam Wayne boundary side, I think that, that does it for me. Fair enough. At least, yeah. Can't sign off on excluding Hamo though, because he has absolutely no credibility or qualification for the role other than the but fact that, that his brother is too hard but AFLHQ I think that it's nepotism iris, in its iris, most basic irrespective form. of that I mean Hamish is Hamish is horrible at those sides of things but at least he doesn't get into the Channel 9 sideshow effect that I think that Brian Taylor and Dwayne Russell do you're saying just he doesn't the, just call the fucking game oh c- mate do I have to reread you the Saturday Arvo footy court <laughs> oh. blog a recap no I I can come up with plenty of instances with Hame going yeah, off topic I think that Dwayne Dwayne and Brian are the ones that frustrate me more. Dwayne, the Eagles tanked to get pick 26. Russell, I still don't understand that. <laughs> That's quite raw. Wowie boy. Um, yeah. Um, I like the way he went about it, Darcy and, and Sam Wayne. Yeah. Alright, well I've got, I've got to throw Hutto in there, obviously. Um, and yeah, Hamo is in there for mine as well. Uh, Luke Darcy. Just, yeah, <laughs> an auto selection. Yeah. Yes, an intelligent yes, auto selection. I'm just going to say when it, when it comes to uh, to qualifying for this category Luke Darcy is the best in the business mm, yeah um oh, those three stand head and shoulders below the rest that makes sense probably Baz just purely because if you did have Baz and Hamish in there together that would just <laughs> open a portal to a commentary hell dimension so yeah let's go with that one without Kirky to bring them back with marijuana this season either yeah thanks Kirky yeah righto one on one comparison who would you rather have in your team Chris Yaron or Daniel Rich oh good question um well you wrote it I wrote it <laughs> yeah, that's a, I thought reason, crap reason, reason for this comparison Chris Yaron picks 6 Daniel Rich picks 7 same draft I think it would depend it, it's kind of it depends on the team that you're at I think that the the AFL people would probably be quite split on this but I think that it would probably be maybe 14-4 in favour of Rich I think Rich Yaron's the more skillful player but Yaron's 
he, he coasts a little bit too much for my liking. And Larratt. to be honest, I'm not quite sure what Yaron's position is going to be long term moving forward. Whereas I know with Rich, I'm going to get a quality midfielder. Polish is the word I use. Yaron just doesn't have that polish. Whereas to mine, Daniel Rich, pretty much, yeah, basically from his first season, he already had that, I guess, that poise about him that yeah. he already looked like an AFL footballer. He looked like he belonged out there. So, yeah, for, mm. for that reason, I'd go with him as well. Mm-hmm. He'll give you more consistent returns than the yeah. occasional flash of brilliance in the forward. I think that I think that's I, I think that Yaron would be best used the way that Ratton used him across half back. I get the impression that Malthouse wants to run him through the midfield more. I don't think that's a good idea. Um, well, the problem so, is you've got Garlic, Betts, and Yaron too. So you well, that's why you got, that's why Ratton mm. threw him back. And I thought he was actually a good value for them across half back. So mm. I think that that's that's where Yaron's best placed. I think that trying to make him into anything more than that not going to work. Righto. So the penultimate question of the first half today. Will Lance Buddy Franklin be wearing number 23 for Hawthorne in season 2014? What's your take? Being no. Hawthorne man? No, he will not be, but I hope we get... What well, can we get? We can't get anything for him, can we? Because it's free agent. Is that right, or is that some sort of... I think he's, limited, a, restri- yeah, I think he's a restricted yeah. free agent from memory, which means that it's the same as Daniel Pearce was last year. My, my gut feel is, yeah, I'm like you. I don't think he'll be playing for Hawthorne next year. I think it could well depend on how Hawthorne go this year because if Hawthorne just suddenly yeah. start to decline as there is a big chance of them doing then I think he'll definitely I think go if we're going to say no though you have to really think about why he's going to leave and where you think he's going to go and I think that the reason why I say no is, is I think he'll be in purple and gold purple and gold sorry purple and white next year I'm trying to figure out who the fuck that team was yeah. there's another expansion team yeah. next year it's going, be, it's going to alternate weeks between the he's going to be a court Dockers. jester for yeah. to make sure wearing no. purple and gold alternating between the Eagles and the Dockers. I I think he'll play for Frio next year uh, uh, in 2014. The Smokey, of course, is Greater Western Sydney and their wads and wads of cash mm-hmm. that um, they could put together an offer that could just too good to review. Similar to the to the Ablett Gold Coast situation. Plus, much like Ablett Gold Coast, he wouldn't have to worry about sharing a forward line with Pablo Main and those sorts yeah. of guys. It'd be all about Buddy. Yeah. Which, so, yeah, I suspect is the way he likes it. So, um, so I mean, if you're if you're so convinced that he's not going to be there, where do you see him going? For the, for the record, as an Eagles supporter, if we could get him for nothing, I'd love to have him. But uh, if, if you were needing to give stuff up, I think the co- he's one of these guys that his trade value would and actually be higher than his actual value. See, and that's what I'm thinking, is if we can get a good deal for him, he's 27 next year, yeah. um, I'd actually be happy with that. Mm. Because I think more at an overall level, if he had kicked straight in the grand final last year, we would have won. He's been a key forward for, what, seven, six years now? Mm. And he's still hasn't learned how to kick straight. So if that's you, a, if you can't to... just nail down that basic facet of the game, then I think we'll ne- we're never going to get him to One do that. One thing that the blueprint, I'm surprised that they haven't stuck with this, is that I think that the blueprint for Franklin is what uh, Richmond were doing with Matthew Richardson towards the end of his career. Stick him on the wing and just out-athletic everybody. Mm. That's the um, that's the blueprint. I think that that's where you're going to get the, the most out of someone like Franklin. The, the, the thing is, though, you know, the, the big forwards get the big bucks so you, you'd be wanting that for a couple hundred thousand weeks mm. but yeah, my gut feel is like you I think he I'm always suspicious of anyone who leaves their re-signed into yeah. that's what it is so anyway let's wrap up the first half from one of the elder top gun players of the competition to the next generation who do you think will be the 2013 
Rising Star. I must admit, I haven't seen as much of the pre-season this year as I have in the past, so it's a little bit more difficult for me to get a read on this than I have. But from the games that I've seen, the one guy who's really impressed me is Oliver Wines at Port mm-hmm. Adelaide. Yep. Um, the Jaeger, the Jaeger bombs looked good in flashes. Mm. Brad Crouch has looked quite impressive as well. Um, but I, I just think that Wines is going to be a guy who, you know, with all with these other guys, they're going to rotate them in and out. Wines is someone who's more than likely going to be getting a lot of games because mm. of where that team's at in their development. Mm. So I think that he's a he's a safe bet. Yeah. So and for a similar reason, I'll just throw this one out. I'll I'll, I'll go with Brett Goods. Too old. Oh, is he? Oh. Brett Goods. Brett Goods is twenty nine. Oh, so, um, I clearly don't check oh, the age column. So, I mean, and I mean obviously, the other guy to consider for similar reasons is Jack Fawney. Yeah. But um, I just think, yeah, I, I... Whitfield is another one that can play. Yeah, the thing that worries me about Greater Western Sydney is, is that, you know, the younger guys, is that is you get to play every game. Because of the guys like Green and Canelio and all of that are a little bit more developed than Whitfield, mm. is Whitfield going to be in the positions where he's going to have the opportunity to shine? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think, as you say, Jaeger and um, and Wines are the front runners purely because based on the teams in which they're playing, they're yeah. going to be in the best 22 more often. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Righto, there we go. So that concludes the first time. It's now time yeah. for the half-time break. Yeah. Brought to you by Matteo's Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't fucking open till dinner. It'd be so easy for them to double their business. Expand from dinner to lunch and dinner. Your business, maybe. Yeah. But, um, hey, as Table 78 can attest to, yeah. Dan's business <laughs> equals good business. Half time of the footy. So, uh, yeah. Yep. We'll catch you after the break for the premiership order.